I think the last year has been the longest goodbye in recorded history, right? Because it was 12 months ago, actually, almost to the day, on January 14th, that I stood up here asking my church family to pray with us as we took a step of faith into looking for a new lead pastor position. But then two weeks later, we were surprised with a little addition to our family, that changed a little bit of that, and it made moving a little trickier when you're fostering a little girl and you want to adopt her, but you can't leave the county. But I kept looking, candidated with a few churches here and there, until the end of May, and with the blessing of the elder team, we decided to put the look and the search on pause, and which was a good thing. Because if you remember, summer was a little crazy, right? Summer was uh, interesting, as we call that in ministry. <laughs> interesting. But at the beginning of fall, I decided to uh, pick up my search again and, and begin looking. And in October, our family finalized. <laughs> I was doing so good. Let me get the, the water helps. I looked at my wife. I can't block her. Darn. In October, we finalized the adoption of Harley May. And, uh, yeah, a huge praise. And at the same time, uh, I was contacted by High Point Fellowship in Cedar Park, Texas, and they were letting me know I was one of their final four candidates, as it were. And so, in December, they officially offered me the job. Oh. And as I look back on the last year, you can see God's... <laughs> Sorry, all my family came up, so that's sweet, but don't look at me. Oh. You can just see that the Lord's timing is perfect. <clears throat> because the Lord has given IBC exactly what they've needed in Clinton and Roth. And he set it up exactly for us so that we could step out. And for that, I am exceedingly thankful. Because one of my prayers before coming to the elder team was that I didn't want to leave any holes. I didn't want to leave the ministries in need. And much, much prayer has gone into this transition, uh, both by you and by the leadership here. And, and now it's the last time. Take <laughs> it. I promise I won't blubber through it the whole time. I promise. But I'm up here the last time as your associate pastor. And I'm really, I'm really blessed to be able to bring you the word. Let's jump into that part. That'll be better. 
Uh, Acts chapter 20. If you need a Bible, stick your hand up. Our ushers would love to give you a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, take that Bible with you. Bring it home. Read it. Know it. Love it. It's all you need. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 35. And this, this passage contains Paul's farewell address to the elders at the church of Ephesus. And I don't think that there's a more fitting passage for a pastor's final sermon than this one. But before we read the text, I need to make a few things quite clear. First, I am not comparing myself to the Apostle Paul. Right? Don't go there. That's not the correlation I'm trying to make. Uh, That would be really foolish. Because there's a number of key differences between our situation today and Paul's. There's a different relationship. Paul is an apostle, and he's sharing this passage with a group of elders. I am a pastor speaking to a congregation that I love. Paul was bidding farewell to the Ephesian elders on his way to certain imprisonment and maybe even death in Jerusalem. And I really hope there's no similarities for me (laughs) in that regard. Yeah, thank you. Paul also mourns and the elders weep because they know that they will never see each other again. But I plan in God's good providence to be back on occasion from time to time. So even though you might want to get rid of me, tough. (laughs) You're not going to be able to keep me away. And my family only lives an hour from here, so it's not so bad. Now, I I would like to give us a little bit of a background on our passage before we jump into Acts chapter 20, so we kind of know what's going on in the story, since we haven't been in the book of Acts. Back in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 23, Paul sets out from Antioch on his third and final missionary journey, and he's going to travel through modern-day Turkey, Galatia, and Phrygia, and he's going to strengthen and encourage the disciples that he had met on his first missionary journey. Then in Acts chapter 19, he arrives in Ephesus. And verse 8 says that he spent his first three months pleading with the Jewish community about the kingdom of God, preaching the gospel. But the opposition becomes so intense that Paul has to move out of the synagogue and instead for two years argues in the the hall of Tyrannus every single day. And it's during these two years that some amazing things happen in Ephesus. God does many miracles through Paul. People were delivered from their cultic worship. They burned cultic books, which, which in that day would have been worth almost 50,000 pieces of silver. And Paul's success in preaching the gospel were so great that the silversmiths in the city of Ephesus were worried that they were going to lose their jobs. Because their primary goal was to make shrines for the goddess Artemis. Some even worried that the temple to Artemis itself would fall. And so what happens? The people riot. And Paul finally decides to leave town after more than two years ministering in Ephesus. He leaves and he goes through Macedonia into Greece. And he spends a few months, most likely in Corinth, before he heads back up to Macedonia in the spring 
and then crosses over to Troas, which is in northern Turkey, where he preaches all night long, and then Eutychus falls asleep and falls out of the window. You remember that? It's one of the preacher's favorite sermons. Don't fall asleep during church, or you're going to fall out a window and die. (laughs) I haven't preached that one, but that would be fun. So he sails south, and he goes actually past Ephesus in the boat because he's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem before Pentecost. But before he goes to Jerusalem, Paul decides to stop at Miletus, which is about 20 miles south of Ephesus. And he sends for the elders of the church in Ephesus to come meet him in Miletus. Now, Tim and I went to Miletus. We got to hang out on the... uh, Coastal Harbor Town right there. It's a really beautiful harbor. Uh, walk the boardwalk there. And, and this is where Paul is going to call them to come and meet with him before he heads to Jerusalem. So he orders the captain of the boat to navigate into the Miletus Harbor. He sends the messenger and he sits and waits in Miletus for the elders of the church to come so he can say to them what we are going to read in Acts twenty seventeen through 35. Now, this is the reason for choosing this text this morning. Because in this passage, Paul tells the Ephesian elders three important things that I would also like to say to you today. These are words which I believe any pastor would want to share with his congregation as a final sermon. He reminds them first of his nature, the nature of his ministry among them. He warns them of dangers that are soon to come. And lastly... He entrusts them to God and his word. So let's jump into Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. We're going to read 17 through 27 together. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility And with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone out about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul begins this section of Scripture by reminding the Ephesian elders about his life and his ministry there. He reminds them that he has been a faithful minister of the gospel, and despite the difficulties and trials that he faced in their midst, his life exemplified Christ. Now, I stand here this morning not as a man without imperfections, for I have many. But as a man who daily falls upon the grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
My life isn't a testimony of how well I have done, but of how good and faithful our Lord is. See, Paul isn't telling the Ephesian elders that he walked in perfection among them. But he's reminding them of the grace poured out on him in his time there. He's reminding them of the grace poured out to others through him. Now, Paul also reminds them about his teaching in verse 20. And he makes this remarkable statement that he never shrank from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Now, this this phrase, shrink from declaring to anything that is possible, carries the idea that he didn't shrink back out of fear from people's responses. He wasn't worried about how people would treat him when he preached the gospel. He simply preached the gospel to any who would listen. And we see that Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, Jews and Gentiles. Now, Paul's desire in this passage isn't that he would have been the greatest teacher ever or that everyone would have loved him wherever he went. But in verse 24, he reminds us that his only goal, his life's mission, was to simply finish his course and the ministry that he'd received from the Lord Jesus. You see, his heart and the heart of every follower of Christ is to be faithful to the calling that you have been given, whatever that calling may be. And it's different for each one of us. And even more than that, Paul's heart to serve has nothing to do with his own desire. It has nothing to do with what he wants. He even goes so far as to say that he doesn't count his life as valuable or precious to himself. But he understands that his life has value because he serves the Lord faithfully. Brothers and sisters, that is a beautiful place for us to be as believers. You and I have value because we are sons and daughters of the Most High. But your calling, your mission, the ministry that God has given you, doesn't have value because you desire it to have value. It has value because it comes from God himself. Paul says that he kept back nothing. He gave it his all. And then he continues in verse 26 and 27 by saying an even more remarkable statement. He says that he was innocent of the blood of all men. For he had not shunned to declare to them the whole counsel of God. Paul had faithfully preached the scriptures for three years. So he was confident that he could say that he was innocent of the blood of all men. And this phrase, innocent of the blood of all men, is a reference to the prophet Ezekiel's words in Ezekiel 33, 1 through 6. Let me read that to you. Ezekiel says this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman 
And if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. It's a heavy passage for a pastor. We are required to preach faithfully. Or your blood is on our head. Because if the watchman warns the people and they fail to respond, then like Paul, we can say, I'm innocent of their blood. But if the watchman fails to warn, the blood of the people is on his head. That's why God has given you preachers to proclaim to you, to your heart and to your mind, the truth of God's word so that you can take warning. And Paul had not held back anything during his time in Ephesus and he had preached the word faithfully. And he knew with full confidence that he could stand back and say that he was innocent of the blood of all men. And with great humility, I would say, that I hope I can join the Apostle Paul today and say that I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, the second thing that Paul does is to warn the Ephesian elders of the dangers to come, the dangers they will soon face. Look with me at verses 28 through 31. And he's writing this to the Ephesian elders directly. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained through his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. There are always dangers that the church needs to be aware of. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to those with whom he can devour. And he is constantly, constantly and relentlessly looking to bring strife, bitterness, envy, and disunity into the church. Don't let him. Be people who are devoted to the word of God. Be men and women of prayer. And when you get upset about something, 
We all do. Let it go. Let it go. Love one another. As pastors, we see people leave the church all the time for really sad reasons, silly things even. And it's a heartbreak. Be a people who are committed to this fellowship because God has called you to be here, to be a part of it. Fight against sin, both in your own heart and outwardly. And pray for the pastors and elders that the God has given you. And even more than that, submit to them out of reverence for the Lord. Submit to them. Even when you think they're wrong. i got to say this because I'm leaving, right? God didn't call you. He either called you to be an elder or he called you to submit to an elder. That's your role as the body of Christ. That's a heavy thing. And I think for us as the church, we get caught up with our own opinions, with our own sense of right and wrong. And we think we know better. And I will say to you, I have sat... sat in lots of meetings and in much prayer over this body with these men. Submit to them. Out of reverence for the Lord. The job of a shepherd or an overseer, it's it's a difficult one. They don't tell you that in seminary, by the way. This is part of the deal. But I am thankful to say that this congregation is one that really knows how to love and encourage their leaders. And I love all the notes and cards and texts. And I can say full well. (laughs) Can't look at you for sure. that there are times that those things get us through and it seems like a small thing but it's not dang it I was making it Uh, alright in verse 28 through 31 Paul is addressing specifically these elders of the church of Ephesus. And he tells these elders that God made them overseers and that their function is to care for the church of God. See, elders and pastors are called to provide leadership. They correct, they guide, they feed, they protect, they watch over in much prayer. And Paul emphasizes this truth in a solemn and serious way by calling the church at Ephesus, the church of God that was purchased by his own blood. 
And the beautiful truth for IBC is that's true for us as well. We are the church purchased by God with his own blood. Now, Paul shares two things that the church needs to be on guard against. One from outside the church and the other from within the church. He says, first, that persecution will come from outside the church. And believers everywhere should never be surprised that the world hates you. Should never be surprised by that. In fact, we are told often in Scripture that the world definitely does hate you. He says that the world will send in people called savage wolves who will not spare the flock from persecution, but who will continually seek to destroy what God is doing here. And not only will there be persecution from without, from outside the church, there will be persecution from within the church as well. Paul warns the Ephesian elders that, there, that some would rise up against them, seeking to draw people astray. And sadly, it could be someone in this room right now who will show themselves to be a false teacher, a false Christian, who needs to be resisted. And Paul is reminding the church body to always be on your guard. Stand firm on the word of God no matter what. Now it gets more encouraging from here, so don't worry. Because finally, in these last few verses, Paul commends the church to God and his word to the faithfulness of God's word. Look with me at verses 32 through 35. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I'm leaving today with a little bit of sadness. But I only have sadness in the leaving because I know that you will be well cared for when I'm gone. I know that you are in the best hands there are. And I'm not talking about Tim's hands or Rob's hands or Clint's hands or the elder's hands, but God's hands. God's hands are all over this church. And as you look back on the life of IBC, you have seen God's faithfulness time and time and time again. He has always cared for IBC. And he is constantly faithful to the people here. My favorite passage is found in Lamentations chapter 3. 
And that passage reminds us that God's steadfast love and mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. Our God will never fail His people, never fail His church. He will always give you exactly what you need. And Paul tells these Ephesian elders that he has entrusted them to God and the word of his grace. And I am so thankful that IBC is a church that is dependent on God and his word. Because the same God who has been with us these past seven years will continue to be the God that is the God of this church until the day of Christ's returning. The same word that has been proclaimed in this church for the past seven years, 30 years, 40 years, will continue to be proclaimed from this pulpit, and God will continue to use it to build you up. And it doesn't matter which messenger is bringing you that message. It simply matters that they're bringing you the word. God gives you his word to build you up into a holy temple. And it doesn't matter if it's me or Tim or someone else down the road. But God's people will continue to grow. And the work is God's alone if it is founded on his word alone. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 11. One says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field God's building according to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Our firm foundation. This church doesn't exist because it has amazing pastors. It exists because its foundation is on Jesus Christ alone. And with the foundation as Christ, it means the work continues. Long past the time that Tim or I will leave here. That is our promise from the Lord. That he will be faithful to his church until the end. 
And that gives me great hope. Paul also reminds us of another thing that God and his word will accomplish here in this passage. He says that they will give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What does Paul mean by this? I think Paul is referring to the same inheritance here that Peter's been talking about in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. We've been studying that the last few months. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers and sisters, we have been given a living hope through Jesus Christ. And our inheritance is being kept in heaven, not of your own volition, but by God's power himself. Your salvation is kept in heaven by God himself. How could you ever worry about it? God will protect it for you. And this means that you and I have our salvation kept by the power of God through the proclamation of his word. This is why you need to come to church. Because you need to hear the proclamation of God's word over and over and over again until he returns. Or you are taken home. If you stop hearing Where does that leave you? The proclaiming of God's word needs to continue until we receive our inheritance in heaven. And it's on that day that we'll all be joined back together, never to be parted again. That is an unimaginable gift. An inheritance kept in heaven for you the proclamation and the preciousness of God's word, hearing you, hearing, sorry, sustaining you and bringing you to a place where you know him and you are with him. And it's something for us as believers to cling to on days when the calling of the Lord causes us to part ways, at least for a little while. Before I, I need to not look at you. Before I end my time this morning, I just want to say thank you. I wrote this in my office and cried a bunch of times and then thought it would be easier. The life of a pastor is filled with much joy and sorrow. Many victories and many heartaches. 
seeing people come and give their life to the Lord is, I think, one of the greatest joys you can have. And seeing people walk out those doors never to return and turn their back on the Lord is one of the greatest heartaches. We've had our fair share of that these past seven years, I'll tell you. Victories and heartaches. And it's totally worth it. Ah, dang it. Thank you for the way you love and encourage your leadership, your pastor. Thank you for loving me and my family despite our many failures and weaknesses. But mostly, thank you for your commitment to the word of God. Because that's what truly binds us together as brother and sister and makes us a family. And it shows us that we serve a God who has given us everything in Jesus Christ. And for that I am exceedingly thankful. All right, I'm going to have to just pray because we do more of that. So would you bow with me, church? Well, Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who is faithful over and over and over again. That we see your grace and mercy poured out on the life of this church and the way in which you have blessed us with your word just gives us great hope. Lord, we know that, that you bind our hearts together with our foundation is Jesus Christ and that one day we will stand together again in the radiance of his glory thankful for all the ways in which you brought us to yourself we love you Lord but only because you loved us first And it's in your precious name we say, amen.